Case number 23-5026. AP Bell Fish Company, Inc. et al. at balance versus Gina Raimondo in her official capacity as Secretary of the United States Department of Commerce et al. Mr. Hobbs for the balance, Ms. Mishra for the appellees. May it please the court, I am Tim Hobbs, counsel for the appellants, AP Bell Fish Company, Southern Offshore Fishing Association, and the Gulf of Mexico Reef Fish Shareholders Alliance. We represent the commercial fishing sector, and we are joined by AMICI, representing a broad coalition of charter boat operators, fish, commercial fish uh, distributors, and processors, seafood processors, and restaurants all of whom are concerned with the action being challenged in this case because it reduces the supply of seafood for consumers and undermines conservation of the red grouper stock of fish in the Gulf of Mexico. It reduces quantity for commercial, right? I thought the whole effort of the rule was to stem or continue to stem the decrease in stock. What the service did here, Your Honor, was reduce the overall catch limit that applies to both the commercial and recreational sectors. For the purpose that was clearly stated. For the for the for the purpose uh, in part to cover the increase of dead discards in the recreational sector. Right, and the whole emergency that the 2019 Act was addressed, right? Uh, that's, uh, that's part of it, Your Honor. But then what happened in this case under Amendment 53 was that there was a further reduction in the overall catch limit to correspond with the change in allocation between the sectors and the need to account for increased bycatch and dead discards in the recreational sector. Right. Is, is, that, is that right? I, so Well, in the sense that that is the position your client is arguing. I, I think that the, uh, the, if you look at the, uh, the there's a chart, um, table one in uh, amendment 53, this is, uh, in the record joint appendix 3314. There's a chart there where it shows the change in the catch limits that uh, would apply under each of the allocation scenarios that were being considered. So the as the allocation shifts more to the recreational sector, the total catch limit comes down. So you so, argue that the district court was wrong in when it says the continuation of the shift to the FEC reporting system did not change or enhance the recreational allocation beyond what it would have been under the old system. I I I think what happened here is that you know so there was there was a there was a new survey that showed that the recreational sector was catching more fish than previously estimated. And so what the service did was uh, to uh, increase the allocation for the recreational sector 
to match the new survey results that essentially, you know, prolonged the recreational fishing season around to where it would have been, you know, but for this, the change in the. So my question was, is it your position that the district court erred both as a matter of law and fact in its discussion of what the agency was doing when it was continuing to switch over to the FEC? My sense is that the district court accurately described the the background and how and how we got here. Um, I I think the the problem here is that there was this new survey that showed higher catch in the past, and so the allocation was reset to match that survey. But what the survey also showed was that bycatch and dead discards in the recreational sector were far higher than previously estimated. And so a change was made to give the recreational sector the benefit of its increased landings in the past, but then nothing was done to account for this increase in dead discards that the new survey results also showed. Let let me just back up um, and ask you, just sort of probe why it's seen as a new allocation at all. Because one way of looking at Amendment 53 is that it restates in the new FES units the same historical allocation that Amendment 30B had expressed in CHTS units. In other words, both are allocating red grouper based on historical landings in the same period, 1986 to 2005. And the innovations are, one, the FES, which is not challenged here, and which it's not that there's a greater allocation now under Amendment 53. It's that the service recognized that in the name of the one million pounds or whatever on your chart, the top right cell, showing one that actually in practice all that time it was much more and should have been now that we have the fes units 2.1 so so it's not that they changed the allocation acknowledged the existing reality of the numbers that have been relied on the whole time and because they're using the telephone survey both to set the numbers and to follow up just the whole thing was was under undercounted, but so so that's one change. The other change is that there's a new lower fishing limit, which I took to be based on the stock survey. When you realize more are being fished, you had to bring it down. That it wasn't because there was this greater allocation. It was just we have to be careful about not only current fisher people but future. Fisher people, your your clients. So I guess the ba- basic question was, why is there a new allocation at all? Well, so you are correct, Your Honor, that what uh, what the service did here was essentially take the new updated numbers, plug them into the old allocation formula, and then that spit out the allocations that resulted from Amendment 53. That that portion is is correct. So a sense it is kind of, you know updating. Uh, the allocation to reflect the latest information. But the problem is that 
the new information also showed something new that was not previously understood. And that is that the bycatch and dead discards within the recreational sector is significantly higher than previously estimated. And so our concern is that nothing was done to address that piece of the issue. So there were two, two new things that we learned. The service updated the allocation uh, to deal with the in increased landings, but then nothing was done to, it to offset the, the increase in dead discards that also uh, were, were learned about as a result of the new survey. Are you seeing an increase in dead discards apart from the fact that when you recognize the recreational sector is more active than you thought, and it has a higher rate of dead discards, that along with that comes a realization that the fishing activity overall is yielding a higher number of dead discards. That's what I thought the case was, not that there was some separate study about the rate of dead discards. That's correct, Ryan. It's not a separate study. It was the same survey that showed both higher landings or the amount of fish brought to shore, but also higher rates of dead discards in the fishery. So fish that are thrown away dead and not retained and not brought to shore, essentially wasted. Weren't and so three, what- Weren't there three things, the two things you've mentioned, but also real concerns about death from these algae blooms? That's right, so, Your Honor. And so what happened here is the agency had either two or three, depending on how you describe it, um, as Judge Pillard articulated, sources of information to address. And that is, there's a lot more recreational fishing going on. There's a lot more um, uh, discard, uh, discards, bycatch, and a lot of it's and a high, even higher percentage of that is mortal bycatch. And we got a problem because these fish have already been harmed by multiple algae blooms. So they had a whole bunch of new data, new information, updated information before them. They said, all right, we got to come up with a new plan. So there are three things, not just the two, correct? That's correct, Your Honor. And I think that's actually shown in the chart that I just called Your Honor's attention to. If you look in that chart, there's a column for the ACL. Uh, there's a number 5.35. That's what the catch limit would have been previously before Amendment 53 took effect. Then if you go down to Alternative 2, which is... I thought Alternative 1 was the status quo ante. Oh, Alternative 2, retain current percentages. So that's just translating to uh, FES. Correct, Your Honor. So then if you go look at Alternative 2, the catch limit is reduced from 5.35 to 4.90. Okay. My understanding is that that reduction is attributable to the guidance that came from the stock assessment, taking into account things like red tide and the need to be conservative in, in managing the fishery. But then if you go ahead, if, if you go down to the next alternative, alternative three, which was selected in this case, it shifts the allocation and the catch limit decreases from 4.9 to 4.26. So that is a reduction of 640,000 pounds that is attributable to making up for the shift of allocation to the recreational sector and the harm that will be caused to the stock as a result of that shift. 
So the service recognized that the overall catch limit would have to come down for both sectors in order to make up for the increase in mortality from shifting more fish to the recreational sector. But you keep saying shifting more fish to the recreational sector. And I'm not sure I follow that because it's a recognition of activity that was going on at this much higher rate all along. It just wasn't acknowledged or understood. And so really this interesting comparison is if you look at on the top line, alternative one, commercial ACL 3.16, and then recreational ACL, the second column expressed in FES units 2.1. And all that alternative three does is effectively say, okay, now that we know the reality, what has been going on all along and what has been approved under an unchallenged alternative one scenario, it's not a challenge in this case, is actually different. It's actually better expressed as 3.16 versus 2.1. And now that we know that, we know fishing activity overall and the stock that we've studied, we're in trouble, we're on a collision course. So we're going to take both of those numbers down about 20%. And that, so we see 3.16 versus 2.1, it's about a 60-40. And then on line three, on preferred alternative three, 2.53 to 1.73, it's about 60-40. So this narrative about, I, I understand people perceived it that way, but this narrative about a shift of allocation to the recreational sector appears to me to be entirely illusory. Well, I think it's correct, Your Honor, that if you that if, if one is looking strictly at at the number of landings, so fish brought to shore, then you are correct that the effort there was to match the new allocation going forward with what in reality had been caught in the past. That is correct, Your Honor. But the new fact that was not addressed was also the increase in dead discards. And so the service attempted to to address that issue, to account for that additional mortality by reducing the catch limit. So in this case, the reduction from 4.90 million pounds to 4.26 million pounds, that was necessary to cover the additional mortality on the stock that would result by shifting more fish to the recreational sector uh, on paper. On, on paper. paper. What if, even though they did the FES, the study that yielded the FES figures, nothing changed in the way that it was expressed for enforcement purposes? You had 3.16 to 1. And then knowing what they knew about that that 1 is really supercharged, you, they just kept with the old... Uh, landline methods, and but knowing that what they knew, that they were on a collision course, they just shifted it all down 20%. In your view, what's the challenge? So we've, uh, let me make sure I understand your honor. So we've question. got, so we got, uh, I don't know if you could shift it down 20%. Oh, that would be tricky because once you've, once you haven't expressed it in the in the parallel way, and that's the issue is that if you if you look at the two point one figure compared to the commercial figure, 
we're already at a 60-40 allocation. Right. Right. So there's no point is that we were all along at 60-40 allocation. We were all along. Correct, Your Honor. Yes, that's that's true. Looking specifically at at, at the landings only. But I think that's a separate point. The point about the landings and, you know, the service says, well, in the way we we understood landings built into that is a proportion of debt bycatch. And so we are accounting for that. And the way we're accounting for that is by actually keeping the allocation the way it was and recognizing that 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 way of operating is going to rock the boat the least, but everybody has to belt tighten in light of that. Understood, Your Honor. And I think that that would hold, but for the new information that was learned about how many fish the recreational sector is actually discarding. Was that new information? I thought they did just like more more fishing is happening in the recreational sector. Right. And we've always known that the recreational sector is much less efficient when it comes to dead discards. And because there's more of it, we have more dead discards. And so your view is that there needs to be a permit system for the recreational side or there needs to be. We're not here to take a position on what the proper solutions are for the recreational sector, but we do think that there are many tools that the agency has at its disposal to get at this issue about dead discards. Well, give me your favorite example. I mean, Louisiana says, like, this is what recreational fishing is. Sure, but I think we reject the premise that recreational fishing is immutably you know, dirty and unaccountable. That's why I'm asking you, what what do you see that is consistent with what recreational fishing is, which the statute? Sure. So there are multiple examples, Your Honor. Uh, There are gear modifications. uh, And in fact, uh, the Coastal Conservation Association's brief talks about recent legislation passed by Congress called the Descend Act that requires devices to be carried on board vessels to reduce mortality of fish that are released. What to be carried? Uh, they're they're uh, devices that essentially um, puncture the air bladder of a fish that has been brought up from very deep depths um, because gases expand as the fish is brought up. Oftentimes, the fish then floats on the surface and dies or is eaten by something else. So by puncturing the air bladder, they can be dropped back down to the ocean floor and released. Spent the bends. Exactly. Right. And they survive after their air bladders punctured? The, uh, the some still do die. It's not 100% effective, but it does reduce the mortality. Um, so that's one example. They just die from now having a punctured air bladder. That's also possible, Your Honor, I believe. Wait, wait. So you, you said this was your example of what would reduce mortal bycatch. And if it just changes how or where they die, that's not reducing I, bycatch. I think studies show that it, it does actually mitigate the bycatch. So instead, you know, it's it reduces it to some level. It doesn't eliminate the mortality altogether. Some still do die after being reeled up to the surface, having their air bladder popped, sent back down. I mean, there's obviously trauma to the fish, both from the hook and from the puncture. So some mortality does happen, but it's perceived to be less than the mortality that would happen without using this device. Congress found that it is. It's before Congress. They passed the law or it's pending? It's been passed and the law requires vessels to carry the devices. It doesn't necessarily require anybody to use them, but they have to be on board vessels. So that apply to and your point, I just want to follow up. I have to understand this. This this applies to commercial 
and recreational. So every individual who wants to go fishing now has to have this little bariatric chamber for the fish. Well, yes, I said it's it's not a bariatric chamber, but it's it's a it's a crude device meant to address the same effects. Yes. So every every individual fisher person will have to have this under this new statute. Each vessel is required to carry one. There's no requirement to to use this. Is, is a is vessel every boat? So anybody fishing off off a pier doesn't have to use this. C correct, Your Honor. But anyone who goes out on a boat, even in their own rowboat. Has to have one of these? I think if you are actively engaged in in the reef fish fishery that's at issue in this case, um, then you do. I don't think it applies. Actively to any... engaged? Does that mean you fish more than once? Or if I just if someone just goes out, I really I'm trying to understand this. I didn't. My understanding is that if you if you are engaged in fishing for red grouper or other fish, then you fall within the ambit of the statute and have to have the device. On. And so, and your point is so what the fish says. Congress already passed this law that the fisheries service could have required people to use it. That's that's right. There's no no there's no use requirement. That's only yeah, actually, but you're saying the agency could require use. They could require the use. In fact, they actually used to also under regulation used to require vessels to carry the same device. Well, but if you said it's already passed as a law, that's sort of pointless at this point. It's, it's right. So the agency, law. yeah, could could require them to be used. There could also be time and area closures. Um, as in the, one of the cases we cited, the National Coalition case, that was. Uh, something that the agency looked at for a different type of commercial fishing, uh, but you can you can close areas of you know by bycatch hotspots, for example. So the agency so, could say. So okay. how do you, how do you respond to the agency's position and uh, the state's position that the agency was looking at these nine alternatives, explained why it acted as it did, and. That's all that was before it at this time. And yes, there are other things it could do, uh, even beyond what, what you suggested. But there was no obligation that it do so at this time when what was before us was before it was the nine alternatives. Yes, Runner. So that I think brings us to our national standard for argument. And so what the statute requires is that for an for any allocation, uh, it must promote conservation. Uh, and to your honor's point, while this may have been a, 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 a change to reset on paper what was happening in reality, there's no debate that this was an actual formal amendment to change the allocation within the fishery management plan itself. But is that it accurate? Was, it was in the context of con considering, as I understand it, the agency's alternatives that it thought would carry out its purposes at the time. Not that it couldn't do things in the future, but at least as to at the time, it really wasn't going to make much of a change, which was the thrust of Judge Pillard's line of questioning. That's 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 correct. Although, what? what so why the, why was it obligated to do everything that was possible on the table to address this dead discard? increase. 
So we are not arguing that the agency was required to do everything on the table. No, what we are saying is to do is something about dead discards and the agency, as Judge Pillard's line of questionings and your answers made clear, it seems to me that it stayed at the 60-40 allocation. Now it knew more, but what it was focusing on was the, you know, the threat to the stop. And there were other problems with these other alternatives. So for now, it addressed what was before it. That's all I'm getting at. Not that there aren't things that can be done. Yes, Your Honor. But by formally shifting the allocation on paper, the agency entrenched this issue with dead discards. It was a... Oh, for the moment when the question was, as a result of the updating and as a result of, you know, the continuation of this transition of counting. And so that's all the agency was dealing with at the time. That's what I want to understand. Why was it required to do more? I mean, we have all these cases, you know, the agency can address these problems over time, periodically. It doesn't have to do everything at once. Congress has already passed the statute, so it's out there. Yes, Your Honor. We would point to National Standard 4 of the Fishery Act, which says that an allocation must promote conservation. Right. And I didn't think you weren't arguing that, but rather that you were arguing because of better knowledge, the agency now knows about this increase in dead discards because it knows that there's more recreational fishing going on. Right. And as a result of formally changing the allocation for landings to match what had been happening in the past, that locked in a higher level of dead discards going forward. No, but you say formally locked in. I mean, for purposes of this rulemaking, yes, but it wasn't as though the agency said it was never going to do anything in the future. Your argument is they have to comply with the national standards in this. That's correct, Your Honor. And it can't, your argument is more than that. It's that it cannot address it the way in which it did, namely by maintaining an allocation. I think what we're saying here, Your Honor, is that by formally shifting this allocation, even with reducing the catch limit, the stock was still left worse off. So as a result, based on all the information we know now, as a result of Amendment 53, the stock is going to be smaller. It's going to be less productive. It's going to give off smaller yields in the future. Well, yes, but the agency is looking long range. Is this the way toward better health? And you're saying, as I understand it, well, even if it is, there are other things that could help even more. That's right, Your Honor. And I think that's why National Standard 4, sorry, go ahead, Your Honor. 
You can finish your answer. That's why National Standard 4 talks about promoting conservation. That's why National Standard 9 talks about minimizing bycatch. We think that these things must be addressed each time the agency takes a regulatory action, especially one that makes the stock worse off as a result of the decision it made. That the stock is worse off, recognizes. So is it your position that once they did the fishing effort survey, that actually Amendment 30B's allocation itself became impermissible in violation of National Standard 4? No, Your Honor, because that allocation was undertaken at the time using the best available information that was there at the time. So that was on the books. So, but if they just said, okay, we're going to stick with the status quo, there's too much complexity between the sectors, so we're going to keep Amendment 30B's allocation going forward, that would not be a problem in terms of conservation? Well, I think if you know, the conservation impacts would be much better, actually, if the existing allocation had been maintained. That's alternative two in the chart that we were talking about earlier. Maintaining the prior allocation at 76.24 would have resulted in a higher catch limit for both sectors, and it would have resulted in less overall dead discards in the fishery. Unlawful, right? Because in light of the status of the stock, couldn't have happened. Alternative one would have been unlawful. Alternative two was lawful. That was simply updating. It seems, though, like under your reading, I guess I'm not sure what the stopping point is. Under your reading of National Standard 4, any allocation to the recreational sector fails to promote conservation. We don't think that that's the case, Your Honor, because we think that the issues in the recreational sector that lead to high bycatch can be addressed. We don't think that these are immutable characteristics of recreation. Any allocation to the recreational sector without additional bycatch measures, anti-bycatch measures, would be a violation of National Standard 4, in your view. That is correct, Your Honor, because if you look at the statute, the plain language applies specifically to allocations, and allocations must promote conservation. So until the bycatch rates for the recreational sector are improved, the service under your reading has an obligation to zero out recreational fishing. And then as it tests and understands that there are ways that are the best science, scientific evidence supports to minimize bycatch, then they can reintroduce recreational fishing? We don't think there's a need to zero out recreational fishing. I thought that was the logic of your position. No, because what we're saying is under the status quo prior to Amendment 53, there was an allocation. It was implemented based upon the best available information in 2005. That has not been challenged. Those regulations are on the books. But now we have the FES, and so we know that that is no longer based on the best available scientific information. Right, but there's nothing to... The best available scientific information is that it's more like a 60-40, actually. But there's nothing to compel the agency, to make the agency actually change the allocation. It no longer comports with the best available scientific information, FES. But that's typically the case in these fishery management regulations. An action is taken, years go by, new information is learned. That could be cause to grounds, rational basis for amending the regulations. 
But it's not like the service is constantly under obligation to update all of its regulations every time it gets one new piece of information. This is an iterative process that's taken over time. National Standard 4 says explicitly that if it becomes necessary to, to make an allocation, then these requirements apply. National Standard 4 does not compel the agency to change an allocation. Well, so it that's is necessary in light of, of I'm sorry, I'm just mis misunderstanding. If it, it is necessary in light of FES, so then they couldn't just, just recapitulate alternative one. Let, let me so make by embracing alternative two, because it doesn't fit with the historical record that they've been relying on all this time. That would have been a, 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 a choice based upon a different rationale. I think if, if the agency had selected alternative two, they would have justified it by saying, you know, we think that the prior allocation uh, should continue going forward, even despite the new information that we um, maybe because to address the bycatch issue. Right. There were there were other reasons that could have motivated the agency to support alternative two, um, even though uh, new information showed that what was done in 2005 was no longer accurate. And undermines the method, the very methodological premise of that. So they would just have to say status quo ante. That's our new rationale. Yeah. Right. But Amendment 30B used an allocation formula, right, looking at the years 1986 through 2005. Right. There's that formula could have been changed. Uh, there's something that holds the agency to using the same formula. But, in the but, past. but then they wouldn't have come up with alternative one. They wouldn't have come up with sticking with the same. They would have come up with something different. So I think I think alternative two. Sorry, I can make one point. I think alternative. The point of alternative two was merely to not do an allocation change and merely to update the uh, management system and the catch limits to be consistent with the new FES units. So in, in other words, Amendment 53 didn't have to do these two things together that it did. It, there could have been different amendments to accomplish these two objectives. So one amendment could have been just the allocation change and another amendment could have been uh, modifying the, the, the catch limits uh, accordingly. Um, well, and you can let me, were, excuse me, Judge Phillips, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. The agency brief citing to the record points out why alternative two doesn't work. All right. But it also makes another interesting point, and I didn't see a response. And that is, even if you get back before the agency, the three alternatives differ, what does it say, by less than 1%. And that is not going to provide you with the remedy that you're seeking. And I didn't see a response in your reply brief other than to say, well, you never know what an agency is going to do on remand. Is that correct? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not following your, your question, Judge Rogers. What, uh, oh, what- Oh, I'm so tired of hearing that. I'm just reading the brief that was filed in this case. All right? Excuse me, Your Honor, would you mind pointing me to the, the page at which you're looking in the agency's brief? 
Okay. So if you see on page 47, where the agency talks about these alternatives, do you see that? Yes, Your Honor. And what you've told us this morning is not consistent with that, even though that's what the record says. And then it says, forcing on page 48, four lines from the bottom, the fisheries service to, I'm quoting, reconsider alternatives three to five would not redress plaintiff's alleged injury, loss of catch share, because the sector landing allocations in those three alternatives, quote, vary by approximately 1%. Yes, Your Honor. And you don't say in your reply brief that's incorrect. Well, for starters, Your Honor, we were not requesting to force the agency to reconsider those alternatives. You want more of a share in light of this discharge. I mean, that's what this is about. This is not save the planet litigation. This is the commercial sector saying it wants a larger share, that its share has been reduced. And contrary to national standard four and contrary to some other things that you argue. It is true that the commercial sector share has been reduced, but the other problem I'm getting at is even if you win this case, says the agency, you get back before the agency and the alternatives you're looking at are not going to provide you the relief that you're seeking, namely a greater share. The relief that we're seeking here, Your Honor, is for the agency to do something about dead discards in the recreational sector because those are even if it reduces the commercial sector further. Well, again, with you on remand, that's not what this case is about, counsel, and you know that. Well, of course, my clients challenged the allocation change because they lost quota, but that was not the only reason, Your Honor. There are ongoing management problems within the recreational sector that are causing conservation. I'm giving you that alternative argument, and I'm also acknowledging the agency's alternative argument. And where did you respond to that alternative argument? So the reason we, I guess, did not address this is because that is not the relief that we're seeking. Our clients were clear from the get-go in this process. We were not out to necessarily maintain the prior allocation. What we wanted was an allocation review. So the Gulf Council, who developed the Amendment 53, has an allocation policy, and that policy says when we receive updated information about landings, like we did under the new FES survey, 
we should undertake an allocation review. Counsel, the bottom line here I'm trying to get you to focus on is normally we don't send things back to the agency for a useless act. You don't tell me in reply, this is not a useless act. You're just saying you want the agency to do something about these discards and it didn't. That is correct, Your Honor. That is part of the relief that we're seeking here is that the agency acknowledge the discard issue and actually do something about it because it's causing problems in the overall fishery. It is reducing... It's a violation, basically, of National Standard 4 not to do something about it immediately. And National Standard 9, Your Honor, which specifically contemplates minimizing bycatch to the extent practical. To the extent practicable. And the agency has told you why, in its view, this is the practicable way to go. You may disagree with that, I understand, but I'm just wondering where the court is left. So the agency undertook a 22-page bycatch practicability analysis, but it never grappled with the issue here, which is that as more of the allocation is shifted towards the recreational sector, there is more dead discards that need to be dealt with. So the agency said we have nine alternatives in front of us. Here's our evaluation of them. And for the reasons the agency said, it's fairest to both groups to adopt Alternative 3, which leaves the allocation basically where it is. Right, but there are two problems with that, Your Honor. One is that it penalized the commercial sector for dead discards that are happening in the recreational sector. But more importantly... The agency explained why the alternatives weren't any better in its view. Right, but more importantly, Your Honor, the action that it took, the reduction in the catch limit, did nothing to solve the problem with dead discards. But the agency thought it was addressing, in one sense, a larger problem, namely avoiding the extinction of the species. And they thought this was the way to do it. And that's not to say that what your clients are suggesting may not be good ideas, but did either the Standard 4 or 9 require the agency to adopt what you're doing, or was it sufficient for the agency to explain its rationale and rely on its expertise? So National Standard 9 contemplates that bycatch shall be minimized to the extent practicable. To the extent practicable, counsel. I mean, that's a word right with deferring to agency expertise. Yes, Your Honor, and we acknowledge that. But what the agency did not do was 
think about and they look at ways that bycatch could actually be minimized and then make a determination about why those things are practicable or not. That's what we're saying the agency should have done here. The agency should have said... All I'm trying to get you to focus on, counsel, and you don't disagree with this as I can read your briefs, it had nine alternatives in front of us, in front of it. It dealt with all nine and explained why it chose one as opposed to the others. That's what I'm getting. It's not that these things can't come up in the future. It's not that you can't file a petition in the future. But in this rulemaking, here's what was before the agency. We agree that there were multiple alternatives that were considered, Your Honor. Our problem is that the one that was selected is going to end up having negative consequences for the overall stock in the future. Well, that's why I asked you about the agency's alternative response. And you don't, as you say, you chose not to address it. Our response is that there should be a remand for the agency to comply with National Standard 4 and with National Standard 9. Just to clarify, on your remand, are you asking the agency to reanalyze these six options, or are you saying there's a flaw in all these options because all they did to address bycatch was lower the overall catch limit? So all of these options are, in your view, legally flawed because they weren't addressing bycatch as required by Standard 9, or I guess you would say conservation as required by Standard 4. So the agency is going to have to go back, not and reanalyze these options, which only changed by 1%, but actually do the hard work, in your view, of figuring it out how to, with this new statistical information, reduce bycatch and promote conservation. Precisely, Your Honor. That's exactly what we are saying. I just had one question about your argument that Amendment 53's economic analysis is materially inconsistent with the analysis in Amendment 28. If we were to so conclude, what's the remedy? If that were the only defect we were to find, what would be the remedy? To vacate and remand to the agency for further action. Why would we vacate, given that if it's a failure of explanation and acknowledgement, we sometimes under Allied Signal don't vacate? Understood. But that analysis was critical to the justification for Amendment 53. In multiple places in the record, the agency justifies all the bad things that are going to happen as a result of this by saying, this is going to result in the greatest net economic benefits to the nation. That conclusion is flawed. There is no basis for the agency to make a conclusion like that. That was the lesson from Amendment 28. And so if you strip that justification away, the amendment crumbles. So on the rest of your analysis, is it correct to think that you're basically saying it's incumbent on the agency at this juncture, given what it now knows about the relative harmfulness of the recreational sector, to abandon its reliance on the historical allocation as between the two sectors? It just has to do something different now. That was the way it did it before. But now that we know the much bigger role of the recreational sector and its relative 
draw on the stock, that they just need to start from scratch. Is that your position? Essentially, Your Honor, and I think that's what we were asking the Gulf Council to do in undertaking an allocation review. Starting from scratch, what do we want this fishery to look like in the future? How are we going to address the bycatch and other issues that need to be addressed so that we can have this fishery for long-term maximum utilization and making sure that it's conserved for the long term? But in doing that, don't they still, under the statute, don't they have to account at least for the new statistical information and shares? Indeed, Your Honor. Right, so they can't take that off the table as part of their analysis or as part of their decision-making. Correct, Your Honor. I mean, presumably the allocation would be based on some data or some other decision criteria that would be used. We think the agency could use the historical landings period, but then it has to take into account all this other information that we've now learned about bycatch and discards and make sure that... Either not hue to the historical allocation or hue to the historical allocation and do X, Y, or Z to address bycatch? We think that that is ultimately a choice for the Gulf Council to make as to how to proceed going forward. So you think they could continue to do the historical, apply those statistics, but if they're going to do it in the face of evidence that there's a real big bycatch problem in one sector, they've got to do something along with that to address the bycatch, which would leave you with the exact same percentage you have now. It just might mean more regulation on the recreational sector. That would be fine for your clients. Yes, our concern is with addressing... Correct. Our concern is with addressing the impacts of the stock and avoiding dead discards. Yes, Your Honor. Any other questions? Judge Rogers? All right. Thank you very much, Counsel. Thank you. Good morning. May it please the Court, Dina Mishra for the Fisheries Service. The rule here embodies the service's carefully balanced approach to do two things. First, to account for updated data on the status of red grouper stock after red tide algae blooms by reducing catch limits to support it. And second, to, quote, evenly distribute, end quote, the burdens of reduced limits by restoring historical participation of actual red grouper catch by the commercial and recreational sectors in light of more accurate data about the actual catch amounts. Appellants would prefer a different balance so that they could take more fish to others' detriment from this limited pool, but they identify no legal entitlement to one. The Act provides for the service to perform just as it did here, carefully accounting for scientific data and recommendations and selecting catch limits that comply with the Act's national standards, including its direction to balance prevention of overfishing with achievement of optimum yield, a statutorily defined term that expressly contemplates recreational opportunities. The agency carefully considered each of appellants' objections in the regulatory process and well explained how it had adequately accounted for it. Ms. Mishra, I'm sorry, can you slow down a little bit? Sure. To hear you, it has something also to do with the amplification. Okay, I apologize. At the end of the day, the challenge rule promotes conservation, minimizes bycatch to the extent practicable, includes proper accountability measures and calibrated catch limits, and is supported by well-reasoned. What does it look like? It looked like what happened here is you got new statistical information. And you said, well, we have to reallocate based on that. It's going to have to be 60-40, all your alternatives, 
vary from that number other than the, of course, status quo, which you couldn't do. So that was sort of the, right, that was going to be off the table before it even started. And so all you did was go, we got we to gotta do 60-40. And it's a shame that that's going to result in extraordinary increase in extraordinary, to our knowledge, new information about um, bycatch and mortal bycatch at a time when the species is already in trouble because of these algae blooms. But we are not, in, in, the, in the amendment's words, we're not proposing to directly reduce bycatch of red grouper in this amendment. We're not addressing it. Instead, we're just going to lower the catch limit. Is, is your position is that no other analysis, sorry, um, standard nine, because it's fine if all you do to deal with what is now recognized to be a material and significant increase in bycatch that you're now aware of, just didn't know about it before, but now it's in front of you. That standard nine says it's fine to go, we're not going to deal with bycatch other than we'll just lower the overall catch limit. We're not going to do anything bycatch focused. How is that consistent with standard nine? So the first point is that standard nine incorporates the to the extent practicable language and more broadly in the structure. Right, did, you didn't do, I mean, you just, you, the amendment says we're not going to deal with bycatch directly. We're just not going to deal with it directly. I, I don't, that's what it says. <laughs> I, I don't think that's the full description of everything that was, that went on with respect to analysis of bycatch. So for example, some of the measures that are being pointed out by the plaintiffs here are measures that are already in effect, for example, and there are plenty of others that they aren't getting into. So, for example, there is discussion in the um, in the amendment um, of, for example, there, that we, there would be season closures if incoming data shows that they're going to be projected to reach or exceed um, those ACLs. Um, if the wait, 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 reach, I mean, we'll have to close it if they're exceeding the catch limit. That's that's not addressing bycatch. That's just the rules of catch limits. But the, that happens regardless. Right. But the idea being that there are a number of different um, ways in which to sort of preserve and, and uh, promote conservation that took account of bycatch and bycatch was assessment. All you need to be reacting to after the fact, too late, um, a problem. Right. Like so, the problem rears its ugly head, then we'll deal with it. That, so, that doesn't seem to be dealing with it. I, I don't think that's um, I don't think that's quite what the agency did here. So the agency here did what was consistent with what I understand to be the case law. So for example, there are cases, for example, in other circuits like um, Little Bay Lobster is one in the First Circuit that talks about how you analyze the proposed alternatives, the things that are before you, and you look at those um, uh, with respect to. Um, making that decision. And then that decision is assessed under the act and under the uh, Ministry of Procedure. So, so let me be clear. How how do you choose the alternatives that, quote, are before you, before the agency, close quote? So the agency designed the uh, alternatives two through six to um, have the same risk of overfishing, basically, to, to prevent overfishing at the same, to the same degree. And they designed those to have those kinds of trade-offs and to take fully into account um, things like the bycatch and the dead discards issue to the extent that there is one. And, and we know that because... Uh, we know that because there's... Site? Uh, I believe that uh, J Joint Appendix uh, 5819 may have this discussion. 5819. Let me double check that. Where it talked about how the, I believe it talks about how the, um, 
acceptable biological catch, which is set to the, to the same as the uh, total uh, annual catch limit, was uh, accounted for bycatch and the, the, any increases from the recreational sector. And I think that's something that Judge Millett was actually referring to. They took into account when they were setting these different alternatives that there may be trade-offs about what may happen with respect to discards. And to be clear- Of course, so let me just ask you, counsel, does the record actually say, took into account, I can't recall exactly what you said, but took into account all the new information about discard? I believe so. Yep. It talks about- um, Which volume are you in? Because there's so many volumes here. I think it's uh, nine. Let me hold on. But this is 5819. That's not in the amendment itself, or is it? it? No, that's in the final rule. Final rule. Yeah. Okay. And it talks about how- In other words, I didn't mean to slow you up here, but no, I apologize. There's a number of the whole thrust of right, so, the key argument here this morning. Right, so, so there's if a, in fact the agency has already done its work on this bypass increase information, it seems to me we ought to have those record citations. Sure. So, so the first point is that to the extent that they are suggesting that there was some change with respect to the bycatch issue, that's something that is incorrect as described. No, 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 no. no. But Judge Millard's questions made it clear that, you know, that's not what happened here. All right. The agency learned a lot of things about what had been going on. All right. So my point is having this new information I thought what you were responding to Judge Millett was, and the agency dealt with all this information about increased bypass and mortalities. So, so the agency discussed, so for example, there's extensive discussion also in Amendment 53 in the entire um, bycatch appendix to Amendment 53, which there's an entire bycatch appendix that talks about, for example- And that, which appendix is that? Gene? That's Appendix B, that's Appendix B. Um, and that is, you know, Appendix uh, B eight, as in boy. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. B as in boy. And that's Joint Appendix uh, 3515 to 3537. And there's extensive discussion in there. Um, you know, appellants had conceded, for example, below that the service admittedly undertakes efforts to estimate dead discards. That was something that they had acknowledged. Um, there's also the, the fact that most of the measures that they're pointing to largely are, first of all, kind of new in being presented in this way on appeal. But in addition, the measures are already in play. I guess they talked about the bycatch problem. They wrung their hands about the bycatch problem. Where did they consider another alternative for dealing with the bycatch problem other than lowering the catch limit with this wooden 60-40 division? So as measured, as mentioned, the, the, um, 
the entire way that this challenge has been brought and in terms of what the plaintiffs have brought, they have not been proffering additional alternatives. No, 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 that's the question about whether the agency grappled. Yes. Obligations to deal expressly and specifically, it was added by Congress, deal with bycatch to the extent practical, which means there should be an agency decision or language somewhere that says it is impracticable for us to do anything other than divide this 60-40, because that's what the statistics say, and lower the catch limit. But I guess they say it's impracticable to do anything else. I guess what I'm saying is that with respect to the alternatives that were presented here, the agency fully considered them and its reasoning for why it was trying to restore what was actual historic participation. No, 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 that's not answering. We heard that, but we want to see where- You want the specific sites for the bycatch consideration, for example, right? You want the specific citations for consideration of bycatch. That's right. Let's do this in stages. So did any of those alternatives, two through six, deal with the bycatch problem any differently between themselves other than, you know, the catch limit change? Is there any different, any alternative approach other than lowering the catch limit that was applied in any of those alternatives? So there was discussion also of existing measures, which are largely overlapping with the ones that plaintiffs have been pointing out today. For example, the Descend Act applies to the recreational sector, and it requires them, for example, to carry certain types of equipment to try to restore discards to the sea if they can. And there are size limits and there are bag limits, and there was discussion of that. There were discussion of season closures. There was discussion of future season reductions, if there would be overages in other years. And it talked about all of those as addressing the bycatch issue. With respect to what was being done here, the alternatives that the commercial plaintiffs have been advocating for- No, 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 that's not my question. I'm sorry if I'm not being clear. I guess they talked about a lot of things. Right, but they- But what we have, let's just say there's six alternatives, but we can take status quo off the list. Do any of them, do they all deal with bycatch the same way, yes or no? I believe that they all take into account bycatch in determining what the annual catch limits will be. The only way they deal with, they all, so there were no alternatives here on dealing with bycatch. Every one of these alternatives did the exact same thing. They dealt with bycatch by doing one thing and one thing only, and that was lowering the catch limit. There's never been a- Is that correct? There's never been a- Is that correct? So the- I'm sorry, I really am trying to understand what's going on here. Yeah, I understand. I think the only alternative, so they are advocating for the alternative- No, no, I don't want, but they're arguing. I'm really trying to help you understand what the agency decided. Right. The agency- Right, the agency- Sorry, a minute of time. Right. Okay. It will help if I'm able, if I'm not- Yeah, I'm having some echo. I apologize. Are you having trouble hearing, you said? Yeah, just a little echo, so I apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll try to go. And if you can't hear it, let me know, and then I'll try again. Sure. It's really unfair to you if you can't hear it. So my understanding from what you said and from the record is that the only tool for dealing with bycatch that all the alternatives did was the same tool. There were no alternatives for dealing with bycatch. They all just said, we're just going to lower the overall catch. I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying there were no alternatives considered for dealing with bycatch. It was just lowering. There was no alternative 
eight that said, actually, we could instead we could lower vocational limit, but not so much, but also impose X, Y, or Z on the recreational factor. Right? It was all just lower, lower the. All the all the alternatives also included, for example, reference in the rule to, for example, season closures if the incoming data would indicate that they're going to reach or exceed those annual catch limits. While it is true that these annual catch limits were set taking account of what would happen with respect to bycatch and that the recreational sector, it, it was well understood before and after that there would be potentially bycatch and even the statute comprehends that, for example, in section 1801. So the question, so the, the answer is just to make clear. Right. That of the alternatives analyzed, none of them did anything to deal with bycatch other than they were going to lower the annual catch limit. And of course, that catch limit is being exceeded. None of them we'll have differed that. on that basis right. because the season closures and the incoming data, for example, is something that applied to all of them. But that is not an that's, issue with it because so that's, so that's they did not propose, for example, an alternative or say there should have been some other alternative. In the good question is this. Sure. This is an obligation on the agency to... Um, Diminish, decrease bycatch, especially bycatch morality, mortality, excuse me, to the extent practicable. So now we've got that they said all we can do is lower the catch limit. Um, and then if something goes wrong, we'll shut things down. Where did they say there was nothing more practicably that could be done? There's all this talking about things. Where did they say, if and they, they should have said that, that's the legal standard. I want, I want to explain why to the extent practicable imports that. And the reason that it imports sorry, that. To the extent practical Imports what? this analysis of taking account of, for example, competing objectives under the national standards, which is something that appellants conceded before the district court and that other, okay. uh, other circuits said, like the first. They should have said, and, and if, if they, it's not a magic words thing. If there's a sentence where they said, there's, this is all that can be done. I don't under practically can be it's not all that could be done, of course, but all that practically could be done as required by standard nine. They make that judgment. I, it, my understanding is that to the extent practical, as understood by case law, for example, in the First Circuit, there's a case called Lovegren. And Lovegren talks about how that takes into account the balancing that the agency must do with respect to other objectives. Because when you look at the structure of the act and you see the various different national standards, you see that there are in effect trade-offs between a number of different ones. For example, taking account no, of scientific it. data no, and this, on the historic participation. But just balancing itself, just going, okay, here's a bunch of factors in the mix. Let's balance them. Isn't sufficient under standard nine unless they've said, this is the best we can do as to bycatch given these other competing considerations. I think I'm that, not sure they said we're doing the best I we think can that under, They said we're not addressing it. I, yeah, I think that understanding of the to the extent practical and what it demands in this context is at odds with the First Circuit's understanding in Lovegren. I think it's at odds with the concession what the appellants made. Yeah. Yeah. The they have to do conservation. Whenever you're doing your balancing, you have to do conservation first, and then these other economic and social factors come in second. How and the agency did that here because all of the alternatives, other than the, you know, first leave it as as what Amendment 30B had or whatever that, uh, in their sense, the status quo would be, uh, all of those alternatives were designed to have the same chance of um, pre preventing overfishing or having of overfishing. Do anything, and that's the standard. Didn't do anything different. 
it's like it's baked in and we're not going to do anything other than lower the fishing limit, the catch limit. That's all we're going to do. That's baked into your options because there's nothing else there. When I look at this table, there's nothing else there. To be clear, I think that the understanding that they were required in this amendment, where it wasn't proffered as an alternative, that there should be particularly considering. They don't have to comply with a statutory standard. If a party comes to the agency and tells them how to do it, you're the expert agency, but you don't have to do anything unless it's fed to you. No, counsel, finish your statement, please. Yeah, I'd like to make two points on that. The first is that the statute itself, as I mentioned, and I believe it's 1801B3, talks about, for example, the recreational sector and trying to promote commercial and recreational fishing and even makes express reference to, for example, catch and release programs. So there is some sense in which the statute comprehends that there could be issues of, there could be bycatch, it could be part of what happens with recreational. Nevertheless, there are a number of provisions in the statute that talk about how conservation takes account, in a sense, to some degree of impacts on the recreational sector. So, for example, there's reference to recreational benefits, and that's in 18, in the definition of conservation and management. There's in 18025, there's reference to it in the National Standard 1, which a lot of cases have said, for example, in other circuits, that this is the bedrock principle and that this is something that gets balanced into the mix. Conservation, as used in our DLA decision, included all those economic and social factors that the DLA decision said come second after conservation. Even if it were true that the DLA decision was only talking about preventing overfishing, as I mentioned. I'm asking you, is your position, as I read DLA, and tell me if you read it differently, it says conservation first. That's what this was about. The government may like it or disagree or agree with it, I don't care, I'm bound by it. Conservation first, and then economic and social factors. But that's hearing, I'm just going to lay it out and then you can tell me. Yeah, I apologize. What I'm hearing, what it sounds like is you're saying, well, what conservation means is all of these other economic and other factors first place. So DLA was kind of silly when it said conservation was something that you would promote in its own right, apart from the economic and social factors. In fact, conservation means balance everything together. No, so what I'm saying is that when you look at NRDC v. DLA, there's discussion, for example, of the central principle, and it talks about the principle of National Standard 1 essentially as being the most central, which is this balancing of preventing overfishing while achieving optimum yield, which the statute expressly defines in a way that comprehends these sort of recreational opportunities. And as I mentioned, the statute comprehends that there may in some instances be bycatch. And the very fact that there's discussion of whether it should be minimized is taking account of the fact that there may be some of it, and it says to the extent practicable. What I'm saying is that the case law consistent with DLA in other circuits talks about, consistent with the concession of the plaintiffs in the district court, that this to the extent practicable language brings in this sort of balancing to some degree with respect to the competing objectives of the other national standards. And that, of course, has to be the case to reconcile. Maybe this is what I'm not understanding. You already have conservation and all this balancing going on under Standard 4, right? That's how you get to optimum yield. That's a lot of balancing a whole bunch of factors, correct? Under the Act at writ large, there are many. But even under optimum yield, I mean, the statutory definition, it's a lot of different factors in there, correct? Correct, in one, for example. What does Standard 9 add? Congress specifically added it later to deal expressly with bycatch. So what does 
Standard 9 require you to change from what you would have done previously under Standard 4 in determining optimum yield? Right. It does suggest that there should be some analysis, for example, with respect to bycatch, and that there should be taking account of that as the agency does consistent with all of the different national standards. Right. It wants some action. Right. Well, it says minimize the extent. I need to be clear, though. What I understand you to be saying is that the way the statute has been interpreted by the agency, it's not necessary to have an independent alternative focusing solely on conservation. But rather, it's sufficient if, in reviewing the other factors or standards, national standards, conservation is considered. And I thought your answer was, in effect, if we read the entire record, we will see that when the agency was considering what to do here, as to each of these national standards, and as to each of the alternatives, we will see that the agency said something about how one standard would promote conservation either better or worse than another. And what I thought Judge Millett was asking for was, not in these words, but where would we find that? Or where would we find a statement that says, we've considered all the other conservation alternatives and determined they are not practical, and maybe given us a reason or two as to why they're not practicable. And I haven't heard you give us that answer. And maybe it's not there, because that's not the way the agency is looking at this case. But that is at least what counsel has presented in this court as part, or really as his main argument on behalf of his clients. Right. So I wanted to say two things. The first is that the agency absolutely did clearly take account of conservation, even in the narrow sense understood by the plaintiffs, when it set all these alternatives to have an equal chance of preventing overfishing, and it took that into account. Now, it did so in a balanced way by taking account, for example, the intertwined nature of the catch limits and the just realistic fact in the world. Where can we find that the agency said that? Sure. So the agency talked about how it was taking into account optimum yield with respect to recreational opportunities at page 5818 of the joint appendix, for example. There is discussion of the to the extent practicable language and the discretion. This is not necessarily specific to the agency's interpretation, but it's actually, as I mentioned, something that is consistent with the understanding of the First Circuit and talking about how there are these tradeoffs between the national standards and the concession of the plaintiffs and the district court, that it does bring in the to the extent practical language does bring in this taking account of the competing objectives. And for example, the updating of the data, updating to reflect the more accurate data here was, in fact, you know, reflective of also national standard to talking about scientific information and how to take account of that. There was consideration of how this would impact the recreational sector and all those statutory provisions, as I mentioned. And some of those, as I mentioned, 
were referenced by the agency as well. So there's both case law and there is the agency's understanding as described here, but there's also the concession, as I mentioned, in the district court. Here, I would say at the end of the day, the understanding of NRDC v. Daley was satisfied by the agencies constructing those alternatives carefully to make sure that they would equally prevent overfishing, even under the understanding being proffered of the statute by appellants. So with respect to bycatch, I also want to point out that, as I mentioned, there was an entire assessment of bycatch in Appendix B. There's a whole bunch of other citations in which they talked about all the many ways in which bycatch is being addressed and minimized, including not just the reduction of limits and taking account of it. As I mentioned, that's at Joint Appendix 2819. Existing things or new things imposed here? So taking account of it in the limits was certainly, you know, how they constructed the alternatives. The things that they discussed there, catch limits and season limitations and stuff, those are all things that were already in place. And the amount of the high amount of discard and discard mortality that the record revealed, particularly when you saw the increase in the recreational sector, already reflected the effects of those efforts to diminish bycatch, correct? Those things were already in place, and yet we have the discovery, I guess it was going on all along, but it's new information to the agency that there is, wow, our bycatch problem is much bigger than we thought. Mortality is much worse than we thought because recreational fishing is much bigger than we thought. And that was already with all those things that were discussed in place, correct? So the Descend Act was in 2020. I think the idea is that many of the particular measures they are now identifying for the first time, quite frankly, some of them at oral argument on appeal. I'm not talking about the bariatric chamber thing, okay? What I'm talking about is the things that are discussed by the agency. You talk in the appendix, I mean, they talk about the bycatch problem and wring their hands a lot. There's no doubt about that. Is there anything that they mentioned there that you say is part of the calculus here as controlling bycatch that was not already in operation at the time these large bycatch things were reported? As in, this bycatch happens even with those things in place. Is that true? Well, equally under what they have pointed out as measures. No, that's not my question to you. My question to you is, are the measures that the agency mentioned things that were already in place and yet the recreational bycatch and mortality are as high as they are? Some of them interact differently. So for example, as I mentioned, the season closures for taking account of incoming data under the new survey, which is part of adapting to the new data and the new methodology of it, is something that operates differently with respect to taking account of what this amendment does and how it's taking account of the methodology. Sorry, I am not understanding the answer. Is there anything new in what they discussed? Things that could control mortality bypass that were not already in place. We'll put aside that little barrier. Right, which actually applies either way. So those protections are there as well. That's a new thing. Did that statute post-date the agency decision? 
It's uh, 2020. I don't think so. But my point is actually that it applies to the recreational sector. So they get the, the, the whatever concerns right. there are about it. That is but anyhow, so there's. Right. But but I, I guess what I'm saying is that some of the things like season closures with, based on incoming data under the new survey methodology do actually interact differently based on this updating with respect to the data. It's taking account of the new type of data, the data that is more they accurate. They didn't take account of it. They didn't change. Do they change the season? They calculated what the season might be, and one of the considerations that they made was that there could be actually some alternate problems from alternative two, for example, with respect to aligning the season with other seasons. So, for example, you could end up with bycatch issues that are um, created or, or, or worsened by needing to throw back because um, allocating less, as the commercial uh, sector wants, allocating less overall ACL to the um, to the recreational sector means that they have to stop fishing potentially oh, earlier. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's just a pre-existing problem. That's but that's always been, you know, the pros and cons of these limitations that were all in place. And so the only limitations discussed are ones that have done nothing to address the problem that is now, it was gone all along, but the agency didn't know about it. Now it knows about it. And now it knows about it. And it says, well, we still feel like we have to do the 40, 60 thing. Um, think we, we must do that. And so where are we saying, but given that we now know there's so much more mortal bycatch than we thought before, are we doing anything different other than lowering the catch limit? I think that, as I mentioned, there are some things that are different in terms of taking account. There is some things that are different in terms We're of how these enclosures interact. No, isn't about taking account. And there's also... There's also a prejudice requirement with respect to this here. So looking at the alternatives as they were before the agency. Sorry, I'm sorry, there's, a prejudice. there's also a prejudice requirement in terms of how the Magnuson-Stevens Act and the APA comprehend that this analysis on, at, at the judicial review stage should go. It should be looking for whether the analysis had something clearly unreasonable and that further analysis would be determinative. And with respect to how the National Standard 9 uh, you know, operates... statutory criteria, just assuming that but they did. Right. it would be a different outcome. You have to show there'd be a different outcome. No, that no. it. I think I think it's still that further analysis would be determinative as to the as to the uh, uh, assessment, for example, of the alternatives. But the point here is that if they want to proffer an alternative, as Judge Rogers mentioned, there are other mechanisms for them to try to seek to change. No, no, the no. Law. We understand that, but I think I just want to be clear in my own mind, that with the new data, some of the old tools will work differently. And That's therefore promote conservation. I, I believe that's so. that your argument, counsel? That is part of our um, argument, yes. What we can find in the record, and you can give us some assistance in that regard by giving us some page numbers, given the sure. voluminous record here. So as to that issue, here are some, um, here are some record citations, and here is a case citation. Well, First, we, I might suggest that we have you just submit something in writing uh, so that, for instance, I don't write down the page numbers and transpose the numbers or something like that. So we well, if it's, if it's all, all right. have the correct numbers 
and we have the uh, case citations uh, other than those that are already in your brief. There's also Gutierrez in the D.C. Circuit, which talks about taking account of incoming data, which is what Did I'm you describing. you hear what I suggest, suggested? Do you have any objection to that? I, I think that it, it may not be necessary here, but we would, of course, be happy to do whatever the court orders. I can list them here and they would be on the recording if the court would like. But, right. um, and if it's on the recording, then I have to go get the recording and transcribe it. That's all I'm getting. You've got this data probably on your computer. I have it before me, the particular page sites, if you'd like them, but I don't. I, I'm happy to provide them site. If you Read me your best language. Uh, oh, okay. Say site and then read me the best language, but I think Judge Rogers has requested that, that there be follow-up letter if I'm understanding you correctly, Judge Rogers, with I think counsel doesn't citations. want to do that, Judge Millett, and I'm certainly okay. not going to force her to course, do it. Okay. No, I'd be, of course, happy to do whatever the court would like me to do. I, I just have Why don't you answer Judge Millett's question now? Sure, sure. So in the Amendment 53, the citations, just so you have the numbers, are um, J Joint Appendix 3323, Joint Appendix... So yep, I'll say it, I'll say it louder. Um, and Joint Appendix 3323, Joint Appendix 3523. Can we do one at a time? Get there with you. Okay, so 3323, um, and the language there. I, what If you would like to speak to the final rule, actually, I think it would probably be the best. That's at Joint Appendix 5814. No, so are we not doing 3323, we're doing 5814? Yep, and I can yeah. come back to Hang it. Hang on a second. It's in the rule as well. All right. See, I don't... I've got to get a new volume. Which volume is 58? You know which volume that is? Um, which part of the federal rule? Either 9 or 16. Um, uh, Joint Appendix 5814. It's page 25573 in the uh, volume 87 of the Federal Register. I have it right before me. It's the front page of it that you're, that yes. you're referring to? Wait, sorry. Are we talking about the rule or are you talk, are you talking about the, the federal, federal The rule release. Seven federal, federal register. What page number? Twenty-five five seventy-three. Top of the right column on the federal register notice talks about the in-season closures, and then the amendment citations I will provide you talk about that taking into account, as I understand it, the um, incoming data, which would be from the new uh, survey methodology. All right. So this one just says. Are you talking about recreational red grouper harvest is managed with catch limits in season, which is what you used here was catch limits, in season and postseason accountability measures, season and area closures, a minimum size limit and a recreational bag limit. That's what the language you want us to look at? No, the last like part, a general description of the it. last part describing season closure here uh -huh. talks about how there are season closures when it's projected to reach the recreational annual catch limit. There were careful scientific projections made at this stage based on the updated survey data, and that's what was taken account of in terms of uh, take, uh, setting these alternatives, et cetera, to set the equal um, prevention of overfishing um, percentages, which satisfies daily. Closures just enforce the catch limit. They're uh, not independent. They, protect, they just enforce the catch limit? Is that what you're saying? Well, they take account of the data about how close they're getting to, to the catch limit, which were set taking account well, of the measure you all they do is enforce the catch limit 
So we're back to where we started, which is the catch limit is the only, and this might be right or wrong, but the catch limit is the only thing the agency has done to deal with bycatch. Well, when the agency- The fact that this enforces a catch limit doesn't change anything. When the agency gets new incoming data showing they're reaching or exceeding the catch limit, it talks about, for example, future season reductions if there are overages in prior years, and it takes account of that- They will adapt the catch limit if it's wrong. They will, but that will also address to the extent that it also addresses that discards were taken into account, as I mentioned, in the catch limits. And so taking account of that new data will interact differently with the updating to take account of the new data and survey methodology. Putting that aside, as I mentioned- Computing compliance with catch differently, or you're just saying we have new numbers. And if we get new numbers, because there is an awful lot of bycatch mortality here, that- Maybe they'll hit the catch limit sooner than we thought, at which point we'll have to close it down. The only premise for the challenge here that's before the court today- Is what I said accurate? My understanding is that the assessment under the law here, the case law and the statutory language- Is my understanding of what the agency said here. I'm not looking for case citations. Is it accurate that what you've said here, this was your key language, is that, and you can submit more, but this is where you- Start is that that they will. Of course, they've got new statistics, so they're going to get new information in about compliance, and hopefully, their new methods will get better and better for getting accurate data. And if it shows the catch limit is being exceeded, we'll do. We will respond to that, correct? Or that if they're reaching it faster, right? We will respond to that. So that's not a measure they've done now. That's simply catch limits are how we're dealing with bycatch. And if it turns out the catch limit is approaching or we turn out it's been exceeded, we'll have to react. I agree with the, but I will point out again that the statute expressly comprehends that not every amendment is supposed to address in all ways by catch, that their trade-offs are comprehended expressly in the statutory language and in other decisions by other courts, as well as daily in this court. We don't have that. The to the extent practical. What I'm trying to explain is that the case law does not require that type of analysis. It requires taking account of the bycatch, trying to do things that take account of it and address it. And the agency did do that by making sure that its alternatives took account of what those effects would be. The statute expressly comprehends there may be bycatch. The agency expressly comprehended the trade-offs, for example, of giving less to the recreational sector and how that could actually cause more throwback problems because the season would close earlier and people would be out there fishing for other fish and have to throw more back. It had extensive discussion of all these different things. If they shorten the season, it would cause more mortal bycatch than the longer season where people are, everyone who, you know, you're only getting the accidental throwbacks, I assume, if you're out of season. And so that's going to be more than the bycatch problem that's caused by, like, for example, say your season closes normally in December. And so we've got whatever your statistic is on mortal bycatch going all the way to December. And we know these are pretty high numbers. And you're saying if we have to stop the season in November, the number of people who accidentally catch red grouper and throw them back will be higher, more mortal bycatch than if we had the season open and people were intentionally catching red grouper and throwing them back. That's what the agency found? 
It found that there is an offsetting effect. I'm not saying that they found that this would necessarily translate to more in the other direction. But what I am saying is that the agency did a careful tradeoff that involved its scientific expertise. You said if we shorten the season, there'll still be discards. I thought you said there would be more of a problem. There'll still be a problem, but there'll be less of a problem because there's less throwback from accident. There is another countervailing effect is what I'm saying that it took account of when it was trying to assess in the process of trying to minimize bycatch to the extent practicable. And when it did the assessment of what was practicable, it took account appropriately as the appellants have conceded as case law, for example, and other circuits establishes, it took account of the tradeoffs with the other competing objectives, for example, under the national standards. And to reconcile those standards in the act, there needs to be an understanding that some of them have to give way to one another to some degree. So it can't be obviously that. I understand your argument. They balanced all these other things. I've just been asking for where they address bycatch. And it sounds like we just keep ending up with. There was extensive addressing. There was extensive addressing. I think to the extent that they needed to develop a separate alternative, that's not what the case law requires. If you want to ask about that. I had a question about the economic analysis. I read the briefs on both sides and I read the economic analysis in Amendment 28 and in this Amendment 53. And I honestly don't see the difference. In Amendment 28, the service said it was not possible to rank the alternatives based on the expected net benefits to the nation. And they had in that case, I think, nine different alternatives. Here they have six. And the point that was made there was that the recreational sector's quota isn't efficiently allocated within the sector. There's so much variation of revealed preferences among recreational fishers that you just can't necessarily know the optimal marginal fish value. Anyway, the analysis in support of Amendment 28, which the service said did not allow the benefit to the nation to be relied on, seems to me identical in nature to the analysis relied on in Amendment 53. And I would love your response to what I'm missing. Sure. So I would say two things to that. The first is that it wasn't a change in position in that formal sense in terms of what would be bearing on this amendment that is under consideration now in this challenge. Because it was talking about, first of all, the alternatives in that amendment. And it specifically said ranking of the alternatives in this amendment based on the expected net benefit. This is like the old joke where the facts of that case are different from the facts of this case. Well, what I would say is that... Fairly speaking, and I drilled down and I did not see it. Right. So as I understand it, this was a data-specific analysis, right? So in terms of what data was available. And I understand your point as to what underlying principle was being discussed. To the extent that there was any inaccuracy, though, whatever this was, even if it were a change in position, it was fully explained. And so the discussion in the rule talks about how primarily what Amendment 28 was really talking about was this maximization versus comparison of specifically identified alternatives here. No, they were comparing a set of alternatives and they were assessing them. And the service said 
we can't add the economic benefit to the commercial sector and the economic benefit to the recreational sector because those two things are incommensurable measurements for this reason. I'm not sure I agree with it, but, you know, that is not my job. Sure. So they do make a point in support of 28, and it's the effort to distinguish it, actually, that to me is problematic because if you said, yeah, we did that there, we thought that was like, you know, the whole thing is average and across the recreational sector, who cares whether the particular marginal fisher has a lower or higher revealed preference. So we disagree with what we found to be inadequate in Amendment 23. We're going to rely on that in Amendment 53. That would be a different case, but that is not what the service did. And honestly, I don't see the factual distinctions in any of the briefing holding water. Right. So as I understood it, what I guess I'm saying is two points. The first being, which you may or may not accept, the first being that I think that the statement that was being made there was not a broad statement of principle. It was a statement with respect to the data that was available for that particular amendment. Even if you thought there was inconsistency, there is some explanation, even if that explanation were determined to potentially be capable of being more. I will point this court to the standard that has been adopted by the First Circuit and the Fifth in Little Bay Lobster. I didn't see the First Circuit case cited in your brief. Lissette? So I don't believe it was cited there. It is, but it was the reference that was being made, the argument that's being made in terms of what was being asked about. I heard you mention the First Circuit case. Tell me, I don't see it cited in the briefing. So it is Little Bay Lobster. I can give you the citation if you'd like it. Yes. 352F3462 at pages 469 to 470. 352F3462 at pages 469 to 
There is explanation affirmatively in Amendment 53 that here there was a determination that there was sufficient data to make that comparison, the relative comparison. There's no difference in the nature of the data on the preferences within the recreational sector in the two different records that I can perceive. And if the assessment of the court were that there was some change in understanding, it undercuts primarily Amendment 28, not Amendment 53, where there was extensive discussion of why it was well-founded here. So you're saying it would be harmless error if they had made this error? Right, because with respect to the particular alternatives here, there's not any reason to think that between three through five that it was going to make much difference to the analysis. And I would also say that with respect to the alternatives that the commercial sector is covering, none of those would have actually done the things that the agency rightly was taking account of, which were not clearly unreasonable, such as updating for the actual historic participation. The 76-24 proportions or percentages that the commercial sector wants are based on an amendment that was based on data that they admit was not the truest state of the world representative, right? And so that there's updated data now that shows that the foundation for those numbers, the alternatives they want, is really not there. If the service were to depart from relying on historical allocation and mirroring that and carrying it forward, what in other fisheries and other species, what are the other ways that these allocations are made or might be made here? You mean as opposed to taking account of historic? Methodologically. Right. So historic participation reflects some sense of relative interest in participating in the fishery by these different sectors, recreational, including kids out fishing with their grandparents, and the benefits that accrue to them that are not just about how many fish are caught, kept, killed, and sold, as in the case of what happens for the commercial sector. There's many other considerations described under the national standards that the agency did take account of in doing its analysis. And maybe you don't know this, but more broadly, is every fishery typically, is this the go-to method for kind of beginning allocation? It's like, let's look before this law was in place, what the sector's relative shares were. Is that, how prevalent is that? I'm not sure. I don't think it's in every case. However, what I would say is for purposes of this case, the commercial challenge here, it's saying this determination by the agency is unreasonable, which is, of course, the standard, is based on only alternatives among which they're all based on some sense of historical allocation. It's just that the ones they're basing it on are based on outdated or less accurate data. Partly I'm asking you because it seems like the gist of their position is once it was revealed to the service that in practice, historically, the recreational sector actually occupied a much bigger share of the fishery, drew on a much bigger share. It was incumbent on the service, and I think they're not saying this explicitly, but implicitly to abandon that. Right. I think that they're trying to make an affirmative values-based argument that the service should take into account. And at that point, I would say that that would be them trying to substitute their judgment about what matters in a way that is at intention with some of the material in the statute that I was pointing out. For example, the statute does talk about 
recreational benefits that it doesn't just adhere in the most fish habitat. But not at all habitat. costs, and that's the difficulty. Not of at course, all costs. Of course, with these trade-offs and the taking account of it. is about permits. Like the, the Louisiana brief says, you know, recreational fishing is recreational fishing. Of course, it's not as regularized and, and regulated in the same way as commercial, but many states require recreational fishing permits. It seems like now with apps, I mean, it seems like there's so much one could do to track bycatch, for example. And in an appropriate challenge or an appropriate petition or an appropriate um, avenue, many affirmative policy-based considerations could be taken into account. Here, there was an extensive analysis taking into account the effects on the ground of what these different alternatives might be, taking into account what the impact would be of better reflecting the historic participation, deciding to, you know, taking account of the national standards, more evenly distribute reductions um, across the sectors based on their reflected interest in participating and um, to the extent that there is some desire affirmatively to make change as a policy matter in this area, as you know, the Descend Act or some of these other statutes and other regulations show, there are avenues that may be pursued. Um, and so if the, if the commercial plaintiffs here are really concerned about those underlying things, um, then there are other ways in which they can do that. But this amendment did promote conservation, for example, it did reduce everyone's um, uh, annual catch limits to take account of impact on the stock in the stock assessment. And it, when reflecting historic participation, it was reflecting some of the, the benefits that the statute comprehends. You, you effectively made that argument. Um, I just had a, a really simple descriptive question about, about the math. Um, on JA 3427, the appendix says that 1.73 million pounds in units is equal to point Eight to four million pounds in the uh, phone survey units, um, and then when they do the, uh, th th that it's functionally the same allocation is translated as an amendment. The numbers come out somewhat differently in the record, and I'm not sure why. Um, Seventy-five point four percent versus twenty-four point six allocation. Uh, not 76 to 24. Why is why are there different numbers there? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm looking at 3427. Is that the one you said? Uh, and it's also uh, 3342. There's just one one set of pair of numbers is 75.4 versus 24.6, and the other, which is Amendment 30B, is 76.24. Why are they, why is it not 7624 in the recalculation for all, the alternative in, in this rulemaking? I'm looking at 3427, is that where you're saying, and 3372, is that where you're referring to? If this is not familiar to you, well, I can skip it. Oh, it's 3342. 3342, I'm sorry. Yep, 3342, 3427. Just the question is why one is why uh, Amendment 30B talked about 7624, mm -hmm. but the recreation of that in the current chart that you have pointed to uh, has some decimals and maybe it's just a rounding decision. 
You know, I'm I'm not sure, Your Honor, because I I'm, I don't know that I see the references. Well, we could always submit a letter to the agency. Sure. I don't know that I see those numbers at these pages. We've been here a long time. I'm going to let you. Uh, All right. Thank you. Wrap up. Any other questions? All right. Thank you very much, Council. Thank you so much. Your Hobbs will give you three minutes. Thank you, Your Honor. Just to touch on a couple of, of, uh, of brief points here. First of all, uh, with respect to Amendment 30B, the assumption there was that the ratio of discards to landings were roughly the same between the commercial and recreational sectors. The citation for that is Joint Appendix 4558. That was the assumption for 30B when the 7624 allocation was set. That is what fundamentally changed when it came time for Amendment 53, and it was learned that the ratio of discards in the recreational sector was actually much higher. That's why it's our contention that when the agency learned that new information, it was required to, to do something. Is that, that there's argument here and, and questions about, is your position that once they discovered the new information, call it 7624, um, and they discovered a catch problem that, or, or discovered, or they just computed or figured out that with that that change uh, to 6040 is a big increase in bycatch. Is it your position that the agency has to abandon reliance on historical allocations as part of its decision making and setting the new amendment here? It's a good question. And to answer your question earlier, that is typically what is done in allocations, that at least that I've been involved with around the country. The starting place is typically, well, what did everybody catch in the past? Are you asking for them to change that starting point? We don't think that necessarily needs to change, but that can be the starting bid. And then you have to look at, OK, if we make an allocation based on this, are we complying with the national standards? Now, on that standard can... nine, um, it's... I just want to understand the scope of your of your proposed reading there. If the service amends a fishery management plan, no matter how focused the reason for it, the service has to consider every reasonable alternative measure that could potentially minimize by bycatch. I don't think the service needs to do that every time, although. What okay, so if this rule is all about just hewing to the same historical data, the same historical period of years, taking the new survey data, what it tells them, and mapping it onto that, right? Uh, just doing a translation from, you know, Fahrenheit to centigrade. What is the position? Why would that trigger an requirement to consider every potential measure to minimize bycatch and not be satisfied by what the service did here, which is say, ooh, there's more bycatch going on has been for years than we realized. And so we have to lower the ceiling for that. Right. So the agency, so I, I think what the statute says is that you know, conservation and management measures shall yep. minimize bycatch to the yep. extent practical. I think what the agents, the reason that matters here is because the agency learned something new about bycatch that it didn't know before. And so that should have triggered an obligation in the agency to do something about those higher levels of bycatch. In other words, if the agency had just uh, updated the, the, uh, the allocation formula with the new landings numbers, not taking into account the bycatch, as 
was was done, then the agency is failing to consider an important aspect of the problem here. So let me ask you, counsel, were these objections raised to the agency? And by that, I mean that it was impermissible for the agency to take the approach it has taken, namely by saying the tools that we've employed in the past to promote conservation. We expect now that there will be different responses and we'll look at them, look at those responses, you know, and act accordingly then. But for now, we're doing this translation to FEC measurement. And we know a lot more, but in our agency opinion, we're not persuaded given the trade-offs between these different standards and different interests involved that we're in a position to do more until we get further information how about how things that we have in place function with this new data set. And based on what was presented to us while the agencies has the burden to support its action, nevertheless, it responded to what was presented and has explained why it's decided to do what it did now. Long question, sorry, but you get the thrust. Yes, I, I get the thrust, Your Honor. And our response is that when the agency decided to act here, to enact Amendment 53, make the allocation change on paper, that triggered an obligation to ensure compliance with all of the national standards and the other statutory but, but requirements. What I'm getting at, counsel, is the agency says, look, we, we may not, I, these are my words, not counsel's words, we may not have an alternative that says this is all about conservation, but rather we have these alternatives where they have different effects on conservation. And given the other concerns we have, in addition to the interaction of the standards, why isn't this a reasonable way to proceed now? Given that it has this new information, it's not going to ignore the new information, but it wants to see how sort of the system works. And while it takes this sort of uh, broad brush approach of just lowering uh, the, the catch, why isn't that enough for now? That's what I'm not clear on. Not that you may not be um, entitled to consideration of these other options, including what Congress has put on the table. Um, 
but I'm not clear exactly why what the agency did in explaining what it was doing now and not ignoring standard nine, even though from the court's perspective, it would have been a lot easier had they included a sentence that says, we've decided that uh, anything else at this time is impracticable. Yes, Your Honor. So I've looked for such a statement in the record. I've not been able to find one, nor is there any commitment from the agency to actually take action to minimize bycatch in the recreational fishery in the future. Well, we can't assume that the agency is going to act unlawfully, intentionally, if you understand what I'm getting at. There's a presumption here. Of course, Your Honor, but I would also submit that... And please tell me where it is. We are making a decision to wait and see and get more information about the bycatch problem because we got new statistics. And so for now, we're just doing the annual catch limit. But as we further bycatch measures, we want to wait and see how these new numbers work. Did they say that? I have not found any statement like that, Your Honor. Did they say we want to do a wait and see and deal with this incrementally? No, my understanding is that they essentially threw up their hands and said, we've done as much as we can do, but they never made that finding. What do you mean, counsel? The agency said it's done as much as we can do. Isn't that tantamount? I'm sorry, Your Honor. I'm sorry, Your Honor. They never made that finding. But if you read the bycatch practicability analysis, it goes through all of the prior measures that were in place. Nothing new was done in this amendment to address bycatch, notwithstanding the new information. I know, but that's like... The point is now you have this new data and you can see how these tools work. And they don't know that yet. So they say, okay, so we just reduce across the board for now. They didn't say that. They already knew these tools didn't work. That's what caused the bycatch problem. They already knew these tools. These tools are the ones that left them with the current bycatch problem. Correct, Your Honor. And importantly, also reducing the catch limit did absolutely nothing to minimize bycatch, right? That accounted for the mortality, but the bycatch... That's an overstatement, counsel. And you don't have to make it to make your point. But I just think your argument has to be, presumably, if you presented this to the agency as you're presenting it to the court, that the agency couldn't do anything except consider an alternative based on Alternative 9, on National Standard 9. I think as we've talked about, Your Honor, there are a number of things the agency could do. I would even point the court to the agency's own statements in the Oceana case about what Section 1853A15 requires, and that's to accurately assess bycatch during the fishing season. That is not... In other words, from your client's point of view, it would have been better for the agency not to have done anything, all right? And let the system go forward. And then in the future, 
and not too necessarily too distant future, consider this new data and the translation and just delay the translation further rather than get it done with, get the new data, chew it over once you see how it works now that you have the data, that that's just impermissible. And you may be right, but I just want to understand if that's your argument and that's how you presented it to the agency. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think what we were saying is that we acknowledge that there's this new survey data that provides a rational basis for regulatory action. But then the result of that, the action that was actually taken is arbitrary and capricious because it failed to take to address an important aspect of the problem. And that is the new information that was learned. They need to wait and see for since all this was were numbers that reflected what was already happening out there, including the bycatch problem. So we already know the agency already knows what the bycatch problem is with these new numbers. They said this isn't something they've invented. They said this is what's been going all along. So it's been going on all along. It's a 60-40 split. And also what's been going on all along with that 60-40 split is a much, much more significant bycatch problem and mortality bycatch problem than we realize. There's nothing new to wait and see what happens. They already know what happens with these numbers. Precisely, Your Honor. I'm not sure what waiting longer and having further years more bycatch would have told the agency that it didn't. That's right. Any other questions? All right. Thank you very much, Your Honor. The case is submitted.